Well, speaking of the ministry of the word, as V said, we are wrapping up our series, Teach Us to Pray or Teach Me to Pray. We've been talking through the Lord's Prayer week by week, and particularly over the last several weeks, we've entertained some concepts, including the idea that God is our Father. He is not a God who is separate and set apart from us in relationship. He is set apart from us in holiness because God is holy and we are not. We are human. He's holy. We're human. But he calls us children and he asks us to call him father. There is intimacy there across that divide between sin and holiness. And that's because of what Jesus did. And so because of that, we pray that God's kingdom come and that his will be done on earth right here as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is Jesus. Jesus has come. He's come to you and to me. And every single day, he works through you and me in the lives of people who don't know about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is a very particular kingdom. It is including all those who are under the reign of its king. And his name is Jesus. And so that kingdom includes us. And everywhere we go, the kingdom does go in that place. So as members of the kingdom, we ask God for daily bread. We ask him to forgive our sins. And we ask him to help us to avoid temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he does all of these things for two purposes. One is because he knows what's best for us. And he brings healing to us and provision to us. But also, he knows what's best for others who aren't a part of his kingdom. And he brings healing and provision through us to other people. So in part, this is about praying for me, but in part, it's also about praying for those around us who don't have a connection with the kingdom of God and who may find a connection with the kingdom of God through us and through Jesus living in us and through us. So today in particular, as we wrap up, we're going to focus on a couple of concepts. We're going to kind of take another look at the kingdom again and the power and the glory statement as this wraps up the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, if you're one of our, our Catholic brothers or sisters, or if you happen to be reading Matthew, you may or may not actually see this phrase at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. Some, uh, some versions of Scripture will footnote it, and then you'll be able to find it later on on the page down there for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. And we're not really totally sure why Matthew left this phrase out of his rendition of the Lord's Prayer. But we do know one thing historically. We know that the early church, the first church, did include it in their practice of the Lord's Prayer. So is it wrong if you don't say that phrase in the church? No, it's not wrong. Either version of the Lord's Prayer is right and true and good. The point of the Lord's Prayer is this, that we are the church together and that there are things that God has called us to say about him and to ask for as members of his kingdom. And then when we get to the end, if that phrase is there, we're basically just lifting up the kingship of Jesus Christ and lifting up the sovereignty of God our Father. And this is not something new. This is something that, frankly, has been around in the history of Israel. In fact, there is, um, there's a story that's told if you look back on, on David's prayer that Tim would have read a little bit earlier, this is in 1 Chronicles in chapter 29. What was happening back then is David, King David, was getting ready to pass away. He was getting older and he had lived his ministry life on earth. He was getting ready to pass. 
and he had this, this desire in him to build a temple for the people of God to worship in. He wanted to build a church for people to worship in. And yet he knew that his time on earth was coming to a close. He knew that Solomon was going to be the one to build the actual temple. And yet he called everybody together, sort of a mass worship service. All together, all the, all the peoples of Israel were called together, and they did a fundraising campaign. Not too unfamiliar for us, because right now Trinity is right in the middle of a capital campaign. Why? Because we're raising funding to grow as a church and to expand to new sites. Kind of a similar gathering of people to ask for the support of the church in the name of God. And what you find if you look at that section of scripture is that the people showed up. They not only showed up physically, but they showed up with finance and with gifts and they gave. And David himself led the charge on this. And he gave toward the building of the new temple. But as they gathered all these offerings together and were getting ready to sort of dedicate them to the work of building the temple, David jumps in and does this, uh, does this, this departure in the campaign where he refocuses everyone on the reason why they're there. Now, Tim read, read the scripture beautifully, and so I'm going to simply echo what he read by reading back through parts of it again. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then the key part of this scripture kicks in, which is kind of the crux of, of the, the central focus of our message today, the idea of you. Now, the you in this case is not you. It's not me. It's who? It is God. And here's the language that comes with it. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from who? You. You are the ruler of how many things? All things. In whose hands are strength and power? Your hands to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Now, what you're going to see here at the end of the prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, as it's kind of aligned with the scripture that Tim read, is this idea of a you versus me orientation. You're going to see as the Lord's Prayer unfolds in your life and as you look at what daily bread means and as you look at what the forgiveness of sins means and as you look at the idea of avoiding temptation and following God's way of doing life, you're going to see that there are two kinds of orientations that people fall in. One is to approach the faith from a you point of view where you is who? God. And a me point of view where who's me? It's not a trick question. It's me, right? And so the orientation is either to use the church and the things of God, the temples therein, the buildings we meet in, the fellowships we have, the parties we throw, the money we send for our purposes versus the purposes of who? Of God. And so what David wanted to do in his capital campaign when he was getting ready to build the temple is reorient everyone in, into a proper orientation as to why they were gathering together and sacrificing of their funding. Why they were giving over of their goods, their valuable things and their possessions, their gold and their, their money and, and such, in order to build a temple. 
The building of the temple was not to be for them. The building of the temple was to be for God. And he wanted to make sure all of Israel as his kingdom understood that dynamic. And for you and me today, one of the biggest battles we face in the church is the temptation to believe that church is about me. In fact, one of the two or three major obstacles to people growing as disciples of Jesus in today's church is what we would call consumerism. Now, what is consumerism in the church? How would you define that? Just shout out a couple of words to me. How would you define consumerism? Here to meet my needs, needs, okay. Which the church is here to meet needs, right? But consumerism would say what? The church is... Okay, so the way I've got it, the way I've got my needs laid out, that's the where, where the church needs to meet me at my needs, right? Good one. What about another one? Spiritual shopping. What does that mean? Okay, okay. The, the idea of going to church to take something from it, right? To get something from the experience, right? Okay, that's a great one. Are there any others? Okay. Okay. And V says, uh, I go to because I, I hear the things that I want to hear. Maybe my ears are itching or something. I don't know. There may be something about that in the scripture somewhere, right? Are there any others? Those are all good. Yeah. Entertaining. So maybe the style of music or the way the music is presented should meet my preferences, right? Maybe the, the, the way it's positioned should be what I like. And then if I don't like what's being presented, what am I tempted to do? Go shop down the street because there's always another congregation that might have something that I like better than where I am. Now, you may feel like I'm bringing the heavy on you this morning. But I love the fact that you in particular, this body and those who will listen by podcast, I love the fact that you are engaged in spite of the inconveniences of weather and illness and all kinds of challenge around you. You find that there is more value in engaging your God in moments of inconvenience and weakness than it is to skip over God and try to deal with those things yourself. And so for that, I thank you and I encourage you and I praise God for you. And I say, keep up the good faith because you and I realize that there's good news in the idea that this is not about who. It's not about me. It includes me. And God says he died for me and for you but it's not about me. Rick Warren wrote a book with that as the first line some years ago and one of the best sellers of all times. But what we're tempted to do in the faith is to consider worship and to consider prayer and to consider a life as a Christ follower to be something that is personal. And while it is, it's not just personal. Life as a Christ follower is intended to be personal and corporate. Not in the sense of corporate America as a business, but in the sense of community. There's old language in the creed that calls it the communion of saints. It's like we are family. 
Now, we may know each other well, or we may just be getting to know each other well, but what we must understand, especially if we meet in a school building that's got some age on it, in the middle of a blizzard, when half of us are sick with the flu, we understand that there is something more and bigger than just me at work. And so the idea of worship becomes more than simply enjoying Christian music with my hands in the air. It becomes more than simply listening to Christian music at worship services and feeling good about the song that's been picked. Worship becomes walking around every single day with something bigger at work in me and through me. And this is kind of the essence of the Lord's Prayer. Now, David needed to reorient his people to remember that even though they were capable of building a big temple to God by pooling all of their resources, that the place where God's presence would dwell, where his spirit would dwell in the temple, was meant to be for him. And the orientation they were to have as they prayed to God and worshiped to God was to be to think on him and think about what he wants. Think about what he desires. And in that way, we would receive a life from him that would be a multiple times in abundance the life we would have if we tried to just have our own life without God in it. Now, if you remember your days before God, your BC days, how did those days compare with the days that you experience walking around with faith in you today? Is there a difference? Are they different lives? Do you feel the Holy Spirit working in you and through you? Do you see God connecting his kingdom with the world that you live in? If you see that and say amen, which means I agree or I can trust that, then you know that this faith stuff is real. And you know the key to it is removing me from the throne of God and allowing God to sit there in all of his sovereignty and glory. Here's what that looks like. If you look in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 21, we know that we have a great high priest who rules over God's house. Sunday school question for you. Who is the great high priest? It's either God or Jesus. Which one? It is Jesus, right? Jesus rules over his house. Now, back then in that culture, a person's house wasn't the house they lived in. A person's house was his what? His family, her family. So who rules over the family of the church today? Jesus. No matter what building we build or not build, no matter what building we buy or not buy, no matter what building we rent or not rent, we are the building of God. We are the family of God. We are his house. And here's what the scripture says about that. It says that because we have such a great high priest, Jesus, who rules over us as king, we can go right into the presence of God. And in fact, the writer of the Hebrews says, let us do that. He encourages us to go right into the presence of God with what? Sincere hearts, fully trusting him. 
Now, this is where the key to the orientation between me and the you of God comes to light. If we trust God with who he is and who we are according to his word, then we know that we can be in his presence on demand without having to be perfect enough to be in his presence. Because of Jesus, we get to be in our dad's presence on demand. We get access to the throne room without having to ask, without having to beg, without having to prove ourselves. We simply have access already. And that defines us. It defines who we are. Hebrews says, For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. This is a reference to the old sacrifices that took place back in the tabernacle and the temple days. They would kill an animal, drain its blood, and the blood would sprinkle the altar. The idea was that the blood that was shed of that animal would be the sacrifice that God required of death in order to take away the consequence of sin. And so we have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for us. This blood makes us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water, kind of like baptism. When we are baptized, water is poured over us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And our sins are forgiven and we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit to live in God's kingdom. Lots of historical references with this. But look at what the writer says next to do with that information. I love how this scripture works and how this message comes so clearly. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now, the second time here, you've seen the word trust in the scripture, haven't you? Question for you today. Do you trust that God and his kingdom can be all about God and not about you? And that God as your king and as your sovereign and as your Lord is going to take care of every part of you in the process. Now that sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? Do you trust that it's all about God, about his kingdom, about his power, about his sovereignty, about his love? Trusting that at the same time, he's the kind of God who will care for your every need every emotional need, every vocational need, every spiritual need, every family need, every financial need, every psychological need, every medical need. Do you trust that at the same time you take yourself off the throne of God's kingdom and see him for who he is, that at the same time you trust that he will care for you as his child? This is the nature of being a member of the kingdom of God. 24, look at this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The day of Jesus' return. What you could consider this passage of scripture is kind of like marching orders for the church. It's the idea that once we receive and understand that God's kingdom is all about him as our sovereign and king, 
And at the same time, he's going to care for our needs and take care of us in all those ways we listed a few minutes ago. That frees us up to be able to focus on what's most important in life. The abundant life is made up of this. Remember that song that said, sweet dreams are made of this from way back? This is what sweet dreams in the kingdom of God are made of. Look at verse 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now, do we as a fellowship here, do we motivate each other toward acts of love and good works on a regular basis? Do you find evidence of that here? Or are we lacking in this? Now, we tend to do that. For example, yesterday we threw a party for more than 100 Chinese folks over at the building where our early childhood center is. My voice is deeper and scratchier today because I, over the beautiful music that was playing, I had so many conversations with people that I had never seen before, never spoken with before, never met before, and have no conversation about faith with before. We do that kind of stuff here. That's who we are. And it's not because we're trying to get more people to come to this gathering. It's because we want to demonstrate in real terms who we are and thereby demonstrate who God is with no strings attached. To give love and to show love and to serve the needs of others in the name of God means that we do it without strings attached and demonstrate God's perfect grace. You and I, average everyday people, already have what's within us that's needed to serve each other with these quote-unquote good deeds, good works. Now, we also know on the same token that good works don't save us, right? Jesus saves us. He's the one who died for us and sacrificed for us, right? So that frees us up to have to earn anything, doesn't it? Now it frees us up to be who we are, members of God's kingdom. And the power and the glory goes to who? It goes to God. The idea becomes that God is working in us and through us in this way. Now, Verse 25 is a challenge. In a culture that sees attendance at meetings as optional, maybe I feel like or don't feel like going to church today is a prevalent idea. That's erroneous thinking. It's backwards and wrong. When you come here, you're not going to church. You already are the church in your jammies at home drinking your coffee. That's already you. You're already there. And when you gather together with other members of the church, what you're doing is participating in the Holy Spirit, recharging your batteries. I was snow blowing this morning the four inches that fell on the driveway overnight. I have an electric snow blower. It has two batteries. It takes one battery to get all the way through the driveway when there are four inches on the driveway. When the four inches of the driveway are snowblowed and the first battery is dead, the second one's still in the charger. So I can't go and do the sidewalk. I have to wait. My neighbors can get a little angry, but they have to wait on me to get 
then it's the other battery charged so I can get back out there. The reason we gather, whether it's at this appointment on Sunday mornings at Burkett or in small groups like at Nof Nof Grill and at the McGaskill's house on Tuesdays, at the Tech on Sunday, or Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., places like that, or even in our own living rooms and homes. Whenever we do that, what we're doing is we're recharging. Our faith is recharging, even if we're people who don't believe in God. As we serve, we are being recharged. Our faith is being strengthened and being built. This is the fabric of the kingdom of God. And so the temptation becomes not to think of the church as about me, as a place to go and spiritually shop. And that was beautifully put. But the church is who I am, who gathers together with others who are the church to be strengthened and empowered. It reorients our schedule. It reorients our priorities. As we begin to think about who our God is and which throne he sits on, the throne above all thrones. He is king of all kings. He is Lord of all lords. And so that you orientation that we talked about, that is you toward our sovereign God, understanding and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will not drop us. He will not fail. He will not lose. He will not die. He will not quit. He will stay after it. He will stay after us. And we, he will stay after those around us, in us and through us, as he works his power. So the next time you sit down and have some shawarma at Tim over at Nof Nof, the next time you sit down with Angus and Lindy, and sing a song, the next time you visit one of our, our folks' houses for a party like the Talianas, the Blaus, the Arnolds, the next time you go, understand that you are plugging in to God's power just by being there. That is a holy thing. It is a sacred thing that you do, and God works in it. And that's why we pray as we close. Thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Who knows what amen means? Yeah, you guys do know what amen means, don't you? So why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads with me and join together in prayer. And we're going to close out this series and anticipate a series opening up next week called The Storyteller. And let's reorient ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's remember as we uh, close and as we go back out into the world that we're not leaving church. We are the church carrying the sovereignty of God at work in us. And pray with me. Dear God, thank you so much for your kingdom and your power and your glory. Thank you for being sovereign, for being my king, the one who knows what's best for me and acts upon it. Thank you for not sharing me with other gods. I love that you love me and want me in your kingdom. I love that you want us as the body of Christ and want us in your kingdom. 
God, I confess to you that sometimes I'm tempted to think that the church is about me and only me. Sometimes I'm tempted to think that the church is here only to meet my needs. And I cast out that thought in the name of Jesus and for his sake. And I thank you for forgiving me and for cleansing me of sin and for giving me a brand new life. One that is repurposed and recharged as a part of your great kingdom, which continues to grow and advance and spread in the world. No matter what anyone says about it, your kingdom is coming. Now may you be glorified because of your power. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.